Dear Father in heaven, Father, you are so good to us. And we're just thankful to be here uh, in, a, in this building, in a warm place, to have a chance to study the Bible with a whole group of people. And Lord, we sense that we are in the final days. And as I think about our house closing, I think about um, your providence and how it's not an accident that this is happening today. Thank you for this. And we think about history closing and the need to hear your voice. We really need to hear your voice. And I need to hear it. I'm not here to be above anybody. We're all sinners in need of a savior. And we're all on our knees and we all meet together at the foot of the cross. And as we begin our four talks together, at least my talks, we just pray for the Holy Spirit. Please, Lord, speak to us. Teach us lessons from your word. May it be a blessing that we're here. May we hear your voice. Please, God, talk to our hearts and bring us closer to Jesus as a result of being here and inspire us to be your faithful people in these last days. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Okay. All right. We're going to look at Daniel chapter 3. We're going to study lessons from three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And as I've been thinking about this, um, I've thought about how the number three is important in the Bible. At least it's used many times. Uh, in the book of Genesis, God told Noah to build a boat and that boat had how many stories? Three. And God called them in to that three-story boat. Um, Jesus had three close disciples, his closest disciples, James, Peter, and John, that were in the inner circle. And in the book of Revelation, we have a message in Revelation 14 that is represented by how many angels? By three. That's right, three angels flying in the midst of heaven with the everlasting gospel. And in Daniel chapter 3, we have lessons from three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And as I just ponder this, it just impresses me that uh, God wants us to be like these three men in these last days. And I really believe that um, this hour that we spend together focusing on this, that the Lord is calling us as I kneel and pray and as I, you know, think about standing here to talk to you, God speaks to me in my heart. And he says, Steve, I want you to be one of these three people, like these three people in these last days, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So consider this time together as a, as a time where God is speaking to you and calling you, calling you higher and higher and higher to stand for him in these final hours. Uh, the title of this talk is called No Compromise. And we certainly live in a time of compromise all around and God wants us not to compromise as we, and to stand for Jesus. So let's take a look at it. We're just gonna go through and I'm gonna try to keep, time, keep track of my time here. We've got about an hour. Daniel chapter three, verse one. I'm reading from the King James Bible. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth six cubits. And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So here's the king and he sets up this big statue. It's an image of himself, no less. The context of this really has to do with Daniel chapter two. If you remember in Daniel two, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. 
he woke up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat. He couldn't remember. He knew he had an important dream, but he couldn't remember it. So he gathered around him all of his wise men. And those wise men were uh, magicians and astrologers and sorcerers. And we've, our, our ministry, White Horse Media, has done a whole series uh, dealing with magicians and astrologers and sorcerers uh, in these last days. That witchcraft is growing rapidly. Uh, it's in the mainstream. It's on television. It's in Hollywood. And these are just, uh, you could say, a resurrection or an increase of the kind of things that were going on in Babylon. And so anyway, Daniel chapter 2, we have Nebuchadnezzar having this dream. He wakes up. He gathers his magicians around him. And they're completely clueless. They, can't, they don't know what the dream was. They can't interpret it. And so finally, Nebuchadnezzar brings in Daniel. Or Daniel comes in before the king. And Daniel interprets the dream and says that you saw this big, ish, this big image of a man. And the head was the head of what? Gold, right. And it goes down, gold, silver, brass, iron, and then the feet of iron uh, and part of clay. And then the rock comes down from the sky, and the rock crushes the image and fills the whole earth. Uh, one of the big lessons we can learn from Daniel 2 is that we cannot trust in the things of man. You've got a big image of a man, and then the rock comes down from the sky and crushes the image of man and fills the earth. And the rock represents the kingdom of God. And boy, that is a lesson we need to learn today. That in this world around us, there is nothing secure, nothing solid. Uh, we're, I'm, you know, we're all back in California. I don't know if you live in California or not, but California is prone to earthquakes. And uh, I've been in many earthquakes, grew up in Los Angeles. And even the ground under our feet is not solid. The only thing that is solid is Jesus and God's word and his rock. That's it. Nothing of man. So anyway, um, Daniel explained the dream to Nebuchadnezzar that his kingdom represented the the head of gold, or was represented by the head of gold, and it goes down through the image uh, to the return of Jesus Christ. And by the time you get to Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar evidently forgot the dream, or at least he didn't like the fact that the head of gold was to pass away and to be followed by another kingdom. He wanted Babylon to last forever. And so in Daniel 3, he builds an image, and it's all of gold. The whole thing is gold. And that shows that he wanted his kingdom to go on forever. He wanted to change God's prophecy. It also gives us a window into the nature of Babylon, that Babylon seeks to change God's prophecies. Babylon today is twisting God's prophecies, perverting God's prophecies, changing God's prophecies. And so the people don't really understand what they're really saying. And it's our challenge to understand what God is saying and to interpret these prophecies correctly and to stand for truth in a time of compromise all over the place. So anyway, um, Nebuchadnezzar sets up this golden image. It's all of gold, and it's an image of himself, which shows his, his pride and his need for humility. And when I think about the word gold, uh, I think about the economy right now. I don't know if you're tracking this or not, but the price of gold has gone up about $100 in just the last two or three weeks. And some people are saying that it's going to go up from, it's right around the 800s, 860, 870 right now. It's probably going to go up to, to 2,000 or more in the next year or less. And the reason is because the economy is in trouble, the dollar is failing, and people are trying to find something of, of uh, substance, something solid to put their money in, so they're putting their money into gold. Gold is king when it comes to the world's economy. 
But when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to God's economy, God has a different kind of gold that he is most interested in having us get a hold of. Uh, in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, Jesus talks to the Laodicean church, and he says, I counsel you to buy of me, and what's, what does he ask us to buy? Gold, that's right, gold tried in the fire. Uh, Babylon's focus is, is gold. Nebuchadnezzar has this big image of gold, but God is calling his people to have a different kind of gold. Now, I'm not saying you should never invest in gold if you've got the money, you know, it may not be a bad thing to do, but uh, that's not my focus. Uh, God's focus is, is a different kind of gold. And what does, what, when Jesus said, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire, what kind of gold is he talking about? That's right. He's talking about our characters. Um, it's interesting that when you look at the sanctuary service, the outside of the sanctuary was very plain when they were carrying it in the wilderness. But on the inside, it was full of gold. And the gold was all on the inside, not on the outside. And that's very, uh, there's a big lesson for us in that, that God wants us to have the inner gold, the gold of a pure character that is full of faith, faith in Jesus, faith in God, and love. We're told that the gold of character is faith and love. And when everything falls apart, I tell you, if God has a people that have the inner gold of faith in Him and love for others, that is more valuable than all the gold of this world. We can't take the gold of this world with us. There's only one thing that we can take with us, and that is our characters. And as we continue to read this chapter, we're going to read about the image of gold, and then we're going to read about three people who had the inner gold the gold of a pure character and how they stood up for God. And that is what God is calling us to do today as we are surrounded by Babylon. Verse 2 says, Nebuchadnezzar the king, he's sent to gather together and it lists the princes, governors, captains, judges, uh, counselors, all these administrators and leaders of his kingdom. He gathered them all together for a big dedication of his golden image come to the dedication of the image. And so they were all there. Verse 3 describes all these different kinds of people. They were all gathered together. And as I think about this, I think about the, the whole world eventually being gathered together. Uh, Revelation 16 talks about the spirits of devils going out to gather together the kings of the earth and the whole world to the final battle of the great day of God Almighty. And we are living in the time of that gathering right now. And as we look at this chapter, we're looking at a little microcosm of the whole world, the whole world being gathered together, focused on the wrong things under the umbrella of Babylon. And then in verse 4, a herald cries aloud and he says, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the coronet, the flute, the harp, and lists all these different kinds of instruments. And in the middle of verse 5 it says, And all kinds of music that you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. We certainly live in a time, and this is not my, my focus of my seminar, but I think others are going to be talking about this. We live in a time when there are all kinds of music surrounding us. Isn't that right? All kinds of music. And it's a controversial topic even within the church. Uh, back in my, what I call my BC days, before I became a Christian, as a teenager, growing up in the Hollywood Hills, uh, John Travolta was my hero. Uh, groups like Aerosmith, Black Sabbath, 
Heard of Black Sabbath? Did you know that the guys that started Black Sabbath were all Seventh-day Adventists? Who left the church, left the Lord, went off the deep end? You know, when we know truth and then we leave it, it gets very, very dark. And these guys, uh, well, I remember I used to listen to Black Sabbath all the time. And one of their albums on the back of it is a picture of three angels smoking cigarettes and uh, playing a game of cards. And that was their attempt to, to mock, you know, their, their background. And, you know, very, very dark. And I used to listen to that music and a lot of other kinds of music. But when I became a Christian at the age of 20, which was almost 30 years ago, it's amazing, I'm pushing 50. In April, I will be 50 years old. Um, when I first read The Desire of Ages, at the age of 20, that's how I became a Christian, reading that book. And when I read that book, it just showed me, it was like the light just shined. Uh, I'm the only Adventist in my family. Um, it, was, it started with me. And then little by little, the Lord has been working on other members of my family. But anyway, uh, when I first became a Christian and was convicted that Jesus was my Savior and that Jesus was more valuable to me than all the music and all the ways of Hollywood and the world, uh, the Lord convicted me not to continue to listen to that music. And so I gave it up. I gave all that music up. I remember, uh, I don't remember if I burned them or just broke them. It's been so long ago. But I had a whole stack of, of albums, you know, the old days where they had albums. <laughs> Uh, and I just got rid of them all. And, uh, and then when I became an Adventist, I realized that there is, there is some music out there that does, the words are words about Jesus, but the music was the same music that I used to listen to. It had the same beat, you know, the same, uh, and when I would listen to that kind of music, it would, it would, after I became a Christian, with Christian words, but the same beat, then I began to think, uh, part of me kind of wanted to go back to that. And then another part of me said, Steve, don't, don't do that. You know, don't go back to that. You're a different person now. Your life has changed. You've got to give all that stuff up. So, so after I became a Christian, when the Lord kind of processed all this in my head, then I decided, well, I need to listen to not just music that has good words instead of the old Black Sabbath words and Aerosmith words and Grateful Dead and Jethro Tull and all the others, Led Zeppelin. Uh, now I need to listen to good words and it, and it needs to go along with good music. Uh, what, I, what I tell my little four-year-old boy, he's four, I tell him, uh, this is, we need to listen to heavenly music. Music that's going to bring us closer to Jesus. Uh, one time he was at uh, Grandma's house and there was something that happened to be on the TV and he ran into the kitchen where I was on the cell phone. And I've tried to tell him, Seth, don't try to talk to me when I'm on the cell phone. But he said, Daddy, Daddy, you've got to come in. You've got to see Satan's music is on TV. <laughs> And I thought, praise the Lord, at least uh, he's learning the difference between heavenly music and Satan's music. And so now sometimes when we're in church, he'll, he'll listen to, to some special music or something, and he'll say, Daddy, that's heavenly music. And I say, that's right. You've got it. And anyway, um, all kinds of music, all the kinds of music of Babylon, you know, and, and I know there's room for variety within different, uh, you know, we don't all like exactly the same thing, but within, within the confines of what God wants us to listen to, there is that variety, but we've got to be careful that we don't go outside of that and start listening to things that, that uh, is really the music of Babylon, all the kinds of music of Babylon. And because, you know, when you look at this chapter, it's pretty clear that Satan, behind the scenes, was using music to get people 
to bow down. It was part of what happened in Daniel 3. So, may God help us to choose our music wisely and carefully and listen to the kind of music that's going to bring us closer to the Lord and help prepare us for heaven. All right, so the command went out that when you hear all this kinds of music that you all fall down, you bow down and you worship the golden image. And verse 6 says, whoever falls not down and worships that same hour, he will be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Now, I don't know exactly whether that burning, fiery furnace was... Uh, I mean, I think, I think it was some kind of a structure that was above ground. It had to be because when the three men went in there, Nebuchadnezzar could still see them. So it wasn't under the ground somewhere. It was above ground, some kind of a big, fiery furnace. And it must have been somewhere close by, next to the image... And it was a life-or-death situation. If you don't bow down, you're dead. There's the fire over there, and it was burning hot. And here's all, this, all these people from all these different nations all coming to the dedication. And when the music plays, everybody has to bow down, or they're dead. Now, the question is, what would you do in that situation? Uh, when you look at Daniel 3 where it talks about this image test that this whole group was involved in. Revelation 13 talks about another image test, right? It's the image of the beast. And Daniel 3 and Revelation 13, they're parallel chapters. And if we're going to stand up against the image of the beast in the final days, where it says in Revelation 13 that those who don't go along with the image of the beast should be killed, we can learn a lot from Daniel 3. Same type of situation. And we're moving toward that. You know, we're, we're not there yet, but we're getting close. Uh, the crisis is, is coming, and when it comes, everybody else is going to be going along, following the image, and music's going to be a part of it, and uh, almost everybody's going to bow down, and people's lives are at stake. But in the midst of this situation in Daniel 3, there were three people that wouldn't do it. They would not bow down. Verse 8 says, wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and they accused the Jews. A lot of accusers out there. Uh, I've been accused of different things. You know, people will put things on their websites and they'll accuse me of certain things that I don't believe at all. And I think we need to mentally be prepared for the fact that as we near the final days that we are going to be accused. We're going to be accused falsely of things that aren't true. God, God help us that they're not true, right? We, we want uh, false, we don't want them, but if they're going to come to us, at least let's make sure that they're false and not true. And that's what's happening here. False accusations. People are accusing the Jews. Well, actually, they did, they did tell the truth of what happened, but these were accusers. Certain Chaldeans, they came to King Nebuchadnezzar, and they said, O king, live forever. You have made this decree that everybody who hears the sound of the music listing all these different kinds of, uh, all the kinds of music, that they should all fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship, he should be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Verse 12 says, there are certain Jews. Certain Jews. There were these three men. When everybody else bowed down, there were certain Jews that wouldn't do it. Now, there were probably other Jews in that crowd that did it. We don't know where Daniel was at, that, at this time. He evidently wasn't there. 
doesn't talk about him bowing down or standing up. He was probably on an errand for the king in some other part of the kingdom. But there were other Jews that were in that crowd. And when the music played, they bowed down. But there were certain of them that did not bow down. Now, I imagine that there was a temptation for the Jews that were in the crowd. They thought to themselves, there's an idol, a golden statue. We don't believe in that idol. We know God says, don't bow down to graven images. But there's that fire over there, and it looks pretty hot. And I really don't want to go into that fire. And so maybe, maybe we, can, we can have a little compromise. Maybe we can come up with some kind of a solution to this dilemma. And maybe we can just, oh, my shoe's untied. Maybe I'll just kneel down when the music plays, and I'll, I'll just uh, tie my shoe, but I won't worship. And the Lord knows my heart, and I won't do it. Think some of them might have thought something like that? Probably. Maybe some of them said, well, we'll just, we'll just, this is a perfect time to pray. You know, I mean, we should always pray, right? Pray without ceasing, so when everybody kneels down, we'll just kneel down and we'll just pray. Good time to pray. Probably they thought of that. And I tell you, when the pressure is on in the days ahead, there's going to be various options in front of us, and some of those options are going to be compromising options that we may you know, be tempted to convince ourselves that this is okay. We're not going to go along with the image of the beast. We're not going to go along with the mark of the beast, but we're going to compromise a little bit so that we don't get into big trouble. See that? Temptation. We need to, be, we need to watch out for those temptations. We need to be aware of those temptations. Be discerning about those temptations. Verse 12, there are certain Jews... And you have set up over the province of Babylon, there's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, they have not regarded you. They serve not your gods, nor worship the golden image which you have set up. Now there's a lot of lessons we can learn from this. There were three of them. And when everybody else bowed down, what did they do? They just stood there. They just stood there. And when they stood standing, they stood out like three sore thumbs in a big crowd. And everybody could see these three men standing up. Uh, there's an old preacher that's not alive anymore, uh, W.D. Frizee. Maybe some of you have heard some of his sermons, but I remember listening to him speak once about Psalm 91 and about how during the final days, when the plagues are falling, it says 10,000 will fall a thousand will fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but the plagues will not come near you. And he commented on this, and, and I still remember it many years ago. He said, um, if ten thousand people are getting the plagues around us, but we're not, then that means that we have to be willing to be different than ten thousand people. And then he said, some people uh, would rather die than be different. And then, he said, and then he said, and they will soon be dead because they would not be different. Uh, we need to be willing to be different. Uh, in this world of ours, you know, the, the big pressure on young and old is, uh, is to be cool, 
We've just got to be cool so that everybody thinks we're cool. I heard a, a preacher once say that if, if that's our philosophy, if that's our attitude that, that being cool is more important than everything else, uh, you know, one of these days it's going to be very hot where we are. <laughs> See? And, you know, that's not God's philosophy for the Shadrachs and the Meshachs and the Bednegos of his final generation. God is preparing a group of people, and these were young people. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were young men, and they would not bow down. They would not compromise. Even if their lives were at stake, they didn't go along with all the kinds of music that was all around them. They would not bow down to an image. They just wouldn't do it, no matter what. They were going to stand up, stand up for Jesus, even though their lives were at stake. Now, something else that we can learn from this, uh, it, th these three men, obviously, they were, they were close friends. Now, they didn't decide to stand up and not bow down just at that very last minute. You know, the, the decision that they made when the crisis hit was the result of a lot of decisions that they had been making for a long time. A lot of times we think that when the crisis hits, then we'll know, hey, this is it, and now it's time to stand up. Even if we haven't been standing up, then we'll stand up. But it just doesn't work that way. If we're making compromises along the way, when the time comes, we're going to make compromises too. And if we are standing up for God as we go along, then when that crisis comes, then we're going to stand up then. What we do now will determine what we do then, one way or the other. You can't just you know, decide to stand for Jesus in the crisis if you're not standing for him now. It just doesn't work that way. So these men had been making decisions for a long time. They probably grew up in, in godly homes. And boy, it just really speaks to me as a parent that uh, you know, make, I just pray, Lord, help me to raise my kids for you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had grown up in, in good homes. They had been taught the scriptures as they were growing up. And not only that, but they had learned one of the most important lessons that you can learn in life. And don't miss this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Choose your friends wisely. Okay? Choose your friends wisely. Now, we need to influence as many people as possible. You know, we need to be friendly to lots of different people. But when it comes to your closest friends, you know, they say you are what you eat. It's also true that you are the friends that you pick. It's the same. And I know I need to connect myself with close friends that are as, as godly as I can find. Amen. Um, you know, you need that. I need that. We need to pick our friends wisely. If you, if you have a friend that's, that's slowly influencing you in the wrong direction, uh, you need to, to make a decision not to be so close to that person. Now, again, I'm not saying not to be friendly because we need to be examples and try to reach out and help as many people as possible. But the friends that you connect with on your in your closest daily life that you like doing things together because you're friends, if your friend is leading you in the wrong direction, you need to disconnect. Yes, I saw a hand somewhere quickly. Yeah, friends and acquaintances. I used to have a roommate in college. 
And we were close friends. This was after I became an Adventist. And I realized as time went on, and I'm actually going to share a little bit about this in the next meeting about the character of God controversy. My close friend introduced me to some ideas that were not, not good. And he led me down a path that eventually, uh, thank the Lord, showed me that this was not the right path. And I, and I rem remember making a definite decision when I had a conversation with him. And he was a strong-minded young man. And he was trying to influence me to do what he wanted me to do. And I remember clearly that moment standing up to him and just saying, I'm not going to do that. Amen. You know, I, I, I'm not going that way. I'm not going your way. And it wasn't easy because he was strong-minded. <laughs> but I still, you know, God gave me the, the ability to do it and to disconnect from this close buddy of mine, Seventh-day Adventist friend that was leading me in the wrong direction. I disconnected. And I found other friends. And that's what we all need. If we're going to stand up for Jesus in the crisis, we need to pick our friends wisely right now. See what I mean? Somebody once said, love those best who love Christ most. Your closest friends. If you want to get to heaven, it just makes sense to pick your, as your closest friends those that are on the way. Those that are getting ready for Jesus to come. That's what you need. And that's what I need. We all need this. And there was three of them, not just one of them, that stood up in that crisis. So they were accused. These men, O king, they don't regard you and they don't worship your image. Verse 13 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was in, in a rage, and in his fury he commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were brought in before the king. Now Nebuchadnezzar was uh, not a small fry. I mean, he was the, the king of the most powerful nation on earth at that time. And here are these Three Jews brought in to the presence of this powerful man. And this man was not happy at all that they were there. It says that he was full of rage. Now, how would, how would you do if when the crisis comes, you are all of a sudden brought in front of, of uh, some very powerful person, some ruler, some governor, some president or whoever it is and they look right at you and they question what are you doing? Are you not doing what I'm telling you to do? Are you not going along? Now they're not going to know it's the mark of the beast. They're not going to say are you not going to go along with the mark of the beast? But you know that's what they're going to be basically saying. Why don't you go along with everybody else? You know the decree. You know the law. Why aren't you doing it? What are we going to do? when we stand in the presence of the king, of these earthly kings. Well, the only way that we're going to be able to stand in the presence of earthly kings is if we have knelt before the, the king of the universe. It's the only way. We kneel before God, and we get to know God, and, we, and once we've spent time with God, the, um, the rage of the rulers of the earth doesn't phase us. We're going to be able to look them right in the eye and say, we're not bowing down. Well, that's what happened. They were brought before the king. So Nebuchadnezzar uh, said to them in verse 14, he said, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not, do not serve my gods nor worship the golden image which I have set up? And then in verse 15, he gave them another chance. Second chance. He said, Now, if you're willing, when you hear the music, to bow down, 
He said, then it'll be fine in the middle of the verse. It will be well with you. But if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? He basically said, there's no God out there that can deliver you from that fire. Look at that fire. Take a close look at that fire. That fire's hot. You think you can get out of that? No way. There's no God up there that can deliver you from that. And that's the way the world thinks. You know, they, they're, they're clueless. They don't know the power of the real God. Yes. That's right, yes. He, the comment is about Daniel 2. Did Nebuchadnezzar forget? Yes, he did. That's why I mentioned at the beginning that uh, it was still probably some hazy memory, but his pride got the best of him, and he did forget what happened in Daniel 2. So that's why he took the head of gold and made it into one whole image and wanted everybody to bow down and worship him instead of worshiping God. And that's the way Babylon is. Babylon is self-focused, and it wants people to follow its own ways instead of the ways of God. And so, this is the way Nebuchadnezzar felt. And he gave them a second chance to see if they would bow down. Verse 16 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they answered. Now, this is important. They answered. When they did answer, it wasn't a spur-of-the-moment answer. It wasn't an answer that all of a sudden they just decided, hey, we're in the final crisis, and, or this is our crisis, and what are we going to do? And then they made a decision. No, they already knew what they were going to do. It wasn't something that they had to have a little huddle and talk about it and debate about it and weigh out the pros and cons. You know, they already knew exactly what they were going to do. And they said this very calmly to the king. They looked at him right in the eye. Nothing to be afraid of. And they said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, they were respectful of him. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer you in this matter. In other words, they're basically saying, we already know what we're going to do. We appreciate you giving us a second chance. Thank you, but no thank you. We don't need a second chance. Verse 17 says, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able. Amen. Now Nebuchadnezzar said, there's no God that can do this for you, that can get you out of this fire. And, he's, and they said, our God whom we serve, he is able. Oh, yes, he is, Nebuchadnezzar. He can get us out of this fire. He is able. Now, look at what they said. They said, he is able. And we need to believe that, right? That our God is able. And not only that, he's able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, but he will. They said, he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. That's powerful. They not only believed that God could do it, but they believed that he would do it. That's a lot of faith. That is the kind of faith that we need. When we're looking at these men. This is, these are the kind of people we need to be if we're going to stand up when the final crisis hits. And we're not far away from that crisis. I mean, it's, it's pending. You know, all the reports that we're hearing in our ministry, and I'm sure most of us, if not all of us, are aware that things are looking very, very gloomy from a human perspective. Uh, we're getting closer, yes. That's right, I mentioned that. These men, that's right. That's why God's calling you, and He's calling me. I mean, whether we're 50 years young or <laughs> however young you are, whether you're a 
you know, in, in your teens or your 20s or your 30s, the Lord is calling you to be like one of these people in these last days. Now, that's what GYC is all about, right? That's why you're here. That's why God brought you to this convention to speak to you and to impress you that he's calling you to be one of these people. That's exactly right. All right, so they believed he was able, and they believed that he would deliver them. Now, look at verse uh, 18. And then they said, hey, this is key, but if not, they said, he's there, he's powerful, he can get us out of this, and he's going to get us out of this. But then they said, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, and that's just really important here, even if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve your gods nor worship the golden image which you have set up. This is the kind of attitude that we need in the final crisis. We trust the Lord. He can do it. He will do it. But if he doesn't, and he allows us to suffer, if he allows us to get thrown into the fire, still we will not bow down. Amen. Now that is amazing. You know, so often today, uh, you know, people grow up in the church or they start having a relationship with Jesus and some crisis comes and they say, Lord, get me out of this or solve this problem. Help me. I just, I trust that you can do it. And it doesn't happen right away. God's answer doesn't come right away. Or he answers in a different way than we expect. Or something happens that's just not according to the way we think it's supposed to be. And what happens is people just, they eventually, they give up. They give up and they go out the door. Uh, like Jesus said in the parable about the seeds, he said for some people, they receive the word with joy, but in the time of, of testing, it says they, uh, they fall away. They fall away. And we need to have a faith and a trust in the Lord that we're going to be on his side no matter what happens. Amen. No matter what happens. Uh, I, I've used this illustration before. I've, I've given talks on this chapter a number of times in the last few months. And a perfect illustration that I can think of is when we first started trying to sell our house. Our ministry just moved out of California to the state of Washington. Our whole ministry just uprooted and moved for a variety of reasons. We decided it was time to, um, to exit and to move. Cut our costs and be out in the country. And um, certainly good for my little children <laughs> that they'll grow up in, a, in as good of an environment as possible. Well, anyway, um, as we were deciding to go, I put my house on the market. And this was, I think, in June of this year. And I, I remember praying, Lord, uh, the market's dead. We've got to move. Hardly anybody's coming to visit our house, but Lord, you can do it. Amen. You can do a miracle. And I, and I remember praying, Lord, maybe it was August June, or July, one of those months. I said, uh, maybe it was July. Lord, I, I ask you to work a miracle and bring a buyer to buy our house in July. Amen. I was stepping out in faith. I was getting specific. I was asking him, July, that's the month. And so uh, July, you know, 10, 15, 20 is going along. And I'm saying, Lord, you can do it. This is the month, July. <laughs> and then we get to July 25, 26, 27. I'm thinking, hey, we've got four days left. But, you know, God can do it at the last minute, right? Man's extremity is God's opportunity. So I went to July 30, July 31, 
August 1. <laughs> August 2. Nothing. So what did I do? You know, I prayed specifically. I asked the Lord in Jesus' name to bring a buyer in July, and it didn't happen. So what do I do? Do I, when, when, uh, when August comes, do I say, Lord, there's no point in me even talking to you? You know, why should I pray? I prayed every day, and I asked you to do something, and nothing happened. Maybe you're just not even there. So, I, so what do I do? do I, should I just stop praying? You know, a lot of people do that. They think, well, hey, you didn't answer my prayer? I'm done. Well, I didn't. I, started, I said, Lord, you can sell my house in August. <laughs> August 2, August 5, August 10, August 15. I'm doing the same thing. Lord, you can do it in August. Well, we get to uh, August 28, 29, 30, 31. Now we're in September. <laughs> Nothing. So what do I do? Keep praying. Do I say, hey, it's been two months. You know, one month was fine. <laughs> but now it's been two months. You didn't answer my prayer. I'm going to stop praying. Is that what I did? No. September, I'm praying, Lord, you can sell it in September. And this went on and on until finally, uh, it was sometime in October that, and we weren't getting any action. And we live at the end of a road. And the man next to, there's a little place right next to our house. And then there's one right after that. The, the man that lives in that third house is an old man. His son is taken over his house when he dies. The son bought the neighbor's house, which is right next to our house, so he could rent it. He owns 40 acres all around us. And so I decided one day to just walk down and, and introduce myself and ask him whether he'd be interested in buying our house. All the realtor's efforts, you know, got nowhere. All the MLS listings and all the ads in the Fresno Bee got nowhere. And I just walked down and I said to him, how would you like to buy our house? And he said, well, let me take a look at it. So we walked up, and he's not a man of many words. He looked around, and he said, let me talk to the bank. So then uh, three days later, he called me, and he said, I'm approved Amen. for so much. And if you'll take this, you got a deal. Amen. And finally, we said, okay, because we didn't have any, many other options. <laughs> and so uh, it, was a, it was a miracle that this whole thing happened. And today, it closes. Thank you, Lord. Um, you know, and it's just, I tell you, man's, man, you know, man can't do it, but God can do it. Amen. God can do it. And sometimes God doesn't do it right away. He just doesn't. And we have to trust him anyway and not give up and keep our faith no matter what. You know, he, John the Baptist probably prayed many times, Lord, get me out of here. And then finally the ax came down and that was it. You know, why did God not deliver John the Baptist? Why did he allow his head to be cut off? So his life would be a testimony to people down throughout the ages to be faithful till death no matter what. And I tell you, John will be rewarded in the kingdom. No doubt about it. Some quick, quick comment. There's a promise in Psalm. And I just, our faith is built by promises in God and believing and trusting in them. And so when we know the promises, we can count on them. We know it for sure. That's right. I believe that these three men, these young boys, knew the promise in Psalms 12, verse 6 and 7. And it talks about the words of the Lord and how important and how pure and sure they are. That's right. That's right. They did. They knew the promises of God. They knew the word, and that's what kept them faithful in the Christ. Okay, let's keep going. We've got to finish this up. All right. So anyway, um, once they made that statement, they said, we're not going to do it no matter what you do. Amen. If you throw us into the fire and we die, we're going to die for God. Amen. And then at, the, at that, verse 19 says, then uh, Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. If he was hot, 
the first time, he was even hotter. And he wanted the furnace to be heated hotter. He was so upset, seven times hotter at the end of verse 19. He commanded his mighty men that were in his army to bind these three men and to throw them into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Verse 21, that's what happened. They were grabbed by these uh, Babylonian sentries. They grabbed them. And uh, verse 22 says that, they, or says that they took them up. They grabbed them. And verse 23 says, These three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they fell down into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And as, the, as these uh, soldiers got closer, the fire was so hot, it killed them. And they threw these men in. And Nebuchadnezzar, I'm sure, thought, that's the end of them. Who do they think they are? You know, challenging me, the king of Babylon, these, these Jews. That's it. And then he threw them in and was about to go about his business, whatever it was, back to the worship of the image. And then something amazing happened. These men, were, they, were, they fell down in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Verse 24 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished. He was absolutely shocked. And he rose up in haste. And he spoke to the counselors. And he said, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said, It's true, O king. Verse 25, He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Wow, gives me shivers. This is so powerful. Three men fell down, and now there's four men in there. And they're not down anymore. The three men are standing up, and they're walking around. And who's the fourth one? It was Jesus himself. Jesus himself. Now think about that, I tell you. Um, Jesus was so pleased with these three men, with their faith, that they wouldn't compromise. That they had made the right choices. They had good friends. And they stood up to the king. And they wouldn't bow down in any way. And they trusted him to deliver them. But even if he didn't, they were going to trust him anyway. And Jesus was so pleased with what he saw that he decided that he was going to come down from his throne and go into that fire with them. Amen. And there's a powerful lesson for us in that. That if we stand for God like these three men did in the days ahead, Jesus will have his eye on us. Amen. He will have his eye on you. He knows you. He knows your life. He knows everything about you. And if you make those individual personal decisions to stand up for the king, I tell you, the king is going to have his eye on you. Amen. And in this situation, he went right into the fire with them. The Lord may not deliver us from the fire. But whether he delivers us completely or not, he's going to be with us in the fire no matter what. And that's what happened. He was right there with them inside of that fire. Praise God. Jesus is going to be with us in the crisis. And Nebuchadnezzar looked at that and he was shocked. So then it says he came as close as he could to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and he spoke and he said, he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God. He had a little change of heart, didn't he? He had some, uh, some light that came into his head that there is a God that can deliver from the burning fiery furnace. 
And now he realized that the God that these men were serving was higher than he had ever thought. You servants of the Most High God, he said, come forth, come out, come out. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I wouldn't be in a hurry to come out. <laughs> I mean, if I was in the fire, and there was Jesus right there talking to me in the fire, I, I would just, you know, not be in a hurry. I'd like to spend some time with my Savior right there. And they probably did want to spend some more time with Jesus. But they still, you know, they were respectful. He was the king. And so they, they, they came out. Maybe they stayed a little bit longer, but they came out. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they came forth from the midst of the fire. Now look at this verse, 27, wow. And the princes and the governors and the captains and the king's counselors being gathered together, they saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had even passed upon them. And these three men, they walked right out of the fire. I tell you, this was one of the greatest witnessing moments in the history of the world. Amen. And it was not just a witness to the king and to all the Babylonians, but it was a witness to the Jews who had bowed down. It was a witness to everybody. And when these three men walked out of that fire, I tell you, the whole Babylonian kingdom, at least all the people that were there, they were all staring at these three men. And I can tell you that it wasn't just three men they were thinking about. They were thinking about somebody that was bigger than they were, Amen. than everyone was. And they knew that there was a great God in heaven who had protected these men and had manifested himself right there in the midst of this huge Babylonian crowd. Incredible. And this is a, um, a type of the way the Lord is going to be working through his modern Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who stand for him in the final crisis. I tell you, every, those of us that don't bow down, if we don't bow down when the final crisis hits, the whole world's going to be looking at us. They're all going to be looking at us. What an opportunity. You know, when everybody is uh, falling apart because of the economy and their money and their mortgages and their finances and their IRAs and whatever else, when everything is falling apart, if we trust in the Lord and have a strong relationship with Jesus, if we don't fall apart when everybody else falls apart, our lives can be a tremendous witness for God. You know, if you have an unselfish interest in the people around you when the crisis hits, and you're not just thinking about your own self, but you're thinking about them, and you're showing the love of Jesus to people that are lost and falling apart and scared to death in the final days ahead when everybody's, everything is just going crazy, it's going to be a powerful witness for the Savior, Amen. for Jesus. And that's what God wants. He wants us to be witnesses. He said, you are my witnesses, says the Lord. Wow. And he'll speak through us to Babylon, right? He'll speak through you to Babylon and show Babylon a better way. And he can do it. Then Nebuchadnezzar spoke. 
And he said, Blessed is the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. And that's, we need God to be our own god. And we need to not only be willing to yield our bodies, but our hearts and our minds and our lives and our money and our homes and everything we have. We yield all of it to the Lord. And when we do that, He'll be responsible for us. He'll take over. He'll be with us. And if He gets us out or whether He doesn't, He'll still be with us in the fire. And we need to think about the eternal reward, not just the things of this life. You know, this life is temporary. It's here today and gone tomorrow, just like the grass. But e eternity is, is where our sights should be set. And serving God and being loyal to Him, not to any other God except our own God, except the God of the Bible, the God of heaven, Jesus Christ. That is our calling in these last days. And then Nebuchadnezzar, last couple verses. He said, I make a decree. He made another decree. That every, nation, every people, nation, and language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego should be cut in pieces and their houses should be made a dunghill because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Amen. Now, Nebuchadnezzar still had a little bit to learn about religious liberty. <laughs> you know, some light came into his head, but he still didn't have it all straight, did he? But nevertheless, he knew that there was no other God. There is no other God like God, the real God, the God of the Bible, the God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world. There's no other, no other religion, no other ism, no other philosophy, nothing compares to the God of the Bible. No other God can deliver like this, except for Jesus. Verse 30, amen, says, Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. That's the conclusion of the story. He promoted them. He gave them a, a higher position in his kingdom. And if we're faithful to the Lord in the end, we may not get an, an earthly promotion, but when Jesus comes, he's going to promote us. Uh, the conclusion of the Laodicean message, he says that if we overcome you will sit with me on my throne, even as I overcame and have sat down with my father on his throne. Talk about promotion. Sharing the throne of the king of the universe. Let me ask you, is that enough of a motivation to uh, give up the things of this world and to serve the king with all of our hearts? the king who loves us, that king who sits on a throne came down and died on a cross for you and for me. And he rose from the dead and he went back up there and he's coming back to get his Shadrachs and his Mejaks and Miss Mejaks. <laughs> Men and women. And his Abednegos. And may the Lord help us to hear the call and to prepare to not bow down. You know, I've um, got one minute. Um, as I wind this up, I, I also think that, you know, how many times we have bowed down? 
we've compromised already in so many ways. But the Lord still loves us and he's still giving us another chance, a third chance, a fourth chance Amen. to become his Shadrachs and Meshachs and Abednegoes in these last days. That's why you're here. You know, you have another chance. Just that you're here and you're hearing God talking to you. Let's kneel and let's pray. Great God in heaven, you are the great king. And Father, I definitely feel the Holy Spirit here right now. Thank you so much, Lord. You've, you've been so good to me. You've called me out of so much. And there have been so many times when I've failed you. And yet, Lord, you've still, you're still working with me. And I recommit myself today. And I just, we all, Lord, help us all in our hearts to commit right now, to yield our bodies, to yield our lives to you, and to commit to be like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego in these final days. Amen. Lord, prepare your people for the crisis and help us to witness for you to Babylon and to a lost world. And we look forward to your coming for the great promotion when you take us home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.